Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to GTP Keeper Radio. It is Sunday, August 19th, 2018, 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time on the East Coast here. And I am joined by my co-host, Bill Stagel. Bill, how are you? Hey, good, buddy. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. I'm melting. (laughs) That's appropriate for this time of the year for where you live, correct? The Texas heat is is killing me. Um, you know, it's so hot here that even if you have a swimming pool or go to a lake or something like that, you can't even in, in the middle of the day, you still can't be comfortable. You know, it's just be inside and just live to fight another day. Gotcha. So what what are your temps like during the day, like peak peak daytime temps down there right now? Well, like, you know, about 100 degrees is pretty normal. But the humidity is so brutal that, you know, you just you sweat walking from you just walking to your car. The sweating starts, and um, it's just it's just better. You're just better off staying inside. I don't know how the guys that work, gotcha. you know, that, that do real jobs. I don't know how they do it outside. It's it's uh it's brutal. But you know, all the way almost in the end of August, so things are. They'll get better pretty quick. Yeah, fingers crossed. The next thing you know, you'll be uh, doing some pairings. Uh, exactly right. Exactly right. Right. You've got a new job. Right around the corner. I did. Well, congratulations. Well, thank you. Um, it's going to change my life up a little bit. I've never had a Monday through Friday job, so, um, and I mean yeah. ever. So that's just going to be addressing it change of uh lifestyle for me well, very good high school working on high school right that's correct that's correct um yeah working in high school should be interesting <laughs> um i chuckle because i remember myself as a high schooler <laughs> <laughs> you think you'll bring any you think you'll bring any reptiles up there uh yeah don't let me yeah, definitely, definitely. Got you got to spread that. Got to spread the knowledge and and passion, as Eric Burke would say, to the young folks that they want to uh, do what we do. Because we you know, Bill, we're not getting any younger. <laughs> well, that's why you've got a Monday through Friday regular uh, job now. Because yeah. this is true. <laughs> you can't handle the off hour stuff. That's right, killing me. 
killing me. Um, yep, that's true. And what, what about you? What's going on with you down in Texas? Anything new for you? Um, it's been a busy summer. Had my uh, youngest child, my daughter, just finished her master's program. So we got her graduated, moved out from uh, Texas A&M University, got her set up in a little apartment here in the North Dallas area. And so that was a big deal. I had a bunch of family down there, rented a a night, you know, a big house and just kind of celebrated. That was last weekend. And um, so that's all, all well and good. She's off the payroll now. And so I just got a pay raise. And nice. uh, other than that, just uh, establishing some baby chondros and hatching a shitload of baby royal pythons. Some really, really uh, cool royal stuff pythons. Here. Royal pythons, nice. high, high end, high end royal pythons. So does that mean that you'll be sitting next to me at uh, Tinley this year with your high end royal uh, pythons? I will be sitting next to you at Tinley, but I will not be bringing the high end royal pythons to Tinley. Not this year. It's probably going to keep them. Probably not I'm enough security there for for those animals. Well, I'm going to save them for for my Texas clientele, you know. Okay. All right. Cause, cause okay. Because they're, so, they're, they're so special. We keep, keep them down here in my territory. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. All right. Good. So uh, right. what about Let's, you? Uh, we talk, well, we talked today, and you are going to be vending at Tinley. Yeah, that, that's the plan right now. Um, I'm, I'm planning to go out of, uh, right now supposed to go with Matt Minatola and Eric Burke, and I think I'll do the, pretty much the same setup I did last year with uh, Matt, and I think maybe Keith McPeak is coming out again, so the three of us will all be hanging around together um, at Tinley, talking snakes and all that fun stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, good. You guys, spreading the you word about condos. Well. Yeah, you guys did real well last year. Yeah, Matt, you know, if you like any of the stuff Matt does, it's amazing. And uh, Matt's a great guy, and he you know, he had a crowd around his table the entire weekend. And, um, so I, I got a lot of bleed over from him onto my side. So it was, it was nice to be, be associated with Matt over there. Um, yeah, I've, I've got a so number yeah, of his yep. animals here. Yep. Nice, in, very in, nice. In fact, in fact, speaking of Matt, I have to send him one of my baby chondros that I'm establishing, and now one of the sickness uh, repeat pairing babies. I have to send him one of those, uh, not because, of course, he, he certainly didn't purchase it. He didn't trade for it. I lost a bet. Oh. What yes. bet was that? Uh, it involved the Philadelphia Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys. Oh. And needless okay. to say, I was on the losing end of it. And so... He's going to get a very nice red baby that I hope ends up looking just like the sickness, just so I'll never, ever place a, get, a bet with the Cowboys again. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best Lessons thing that could happen. Lessons to be learned. The best thing Lessons that could happen. Lessons to be learned. That's right. Well, good for Matt. That's uh, that's good for him. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. And then we were, we were together on the East Coast way back in June. Um, yeah, uh, for the uh, Northeast Carpet Fest. Yeah, I think and, that was uh, we were there. Was that, was that how many years for those guys? Do you remember? Eight, uh, or, seven, maybe eight or something, something like seven, that. Eight years. Yeah, 
it's been going on a long it's been going on a long time. It's it's a it's a great thing to go to if uh if you haven't been to one of these uh carpet fest you should definitely go. But you know, I would say that, you know, the Northeast is, you know, the only one I've ever been to and it's a fun time, it's great people. Um just get to hang out and talk snakes with a great group of diverse people who come from many different walks and keep not just carpet pythons but many other species of snakes and uh, a good time, and there's also a bunch of shenanigans that go on, as you know, um, Bill. Mm-hmm. And uh, we get to we get to witness it all firsthand, um, and it carries us through to the to the next uh, carpet fest the following year. Yeah, I think of all of the ones I've been to, um, that the one that one was this most recent one was the best. I mean, just as far as the number of people, the uh, quality of people, the variety of people, um, man, it was, it was awesome. I couldn't talk to enough people. And before you knew it, the whole day and night are gone, you know, starting yep. three o'clock in the afternoon, three o'clock in the morning, 12 hours disintegrates right in front of your eyes. That's what, that's what happens. True. This is true. Yep. No, make, make plans to attend next year's, um, you know, and, you get, uh, you know, this year we had uh, what two of the people who wrote the complete carpet python book were there this year. We had uh, Nick Mutton and Benson Morrell were both there. Doctor Benson Morrell. Um, yep. So you know those guys, you know, they're they're there just to kind of hang out. So it's not often you have, you know, complete access to those guys. Um, you know, they were signing books yep. for some of the young folks, which is really cool. Yeah, um, the resources there are—it's just absolutely incredible. Not only the, you know, just the information you get, but the people you meet, the contacts you make, uh, and then of course, big auction for USARK raised a lot of money. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I—I I, I would put it, you know, on the same level as, you know, as a big Tinley show. I mean, that's that's the kind of participation and the kind of, um, you know, just experience that it is. Yep. What about um, someone? Someone lost something in a bet at that carpet fest, right? Did I lose another bet? No. Uh, our our uh, CFO <laughs> Owen McIntyre <laughs> oh, yeah. lost his beard. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, that wasn't really a bet. That was kind of a a, a charity. If if he could get enough money yeah. donated to. Yeah, to the cause, then yeah, he would shave his beard, and and sure enough, he did, with yep, some help and and, and some uh, and yeah, liquid encouragement. Right. Yep. Yep. So yeah, good time, good time there, and then yeah. uh, we said goodbye to one another, and here we are two months later. Um, we're uh, not too much has been going on over at the on the MVF forum. Though there was one kind of, not kind of, but truly a kind of a a big story, um, a sad big story. Um, Did you want to talk about that, Bill? Well, um, I mentioned it to you earlier today, the passing of uh, uh, the legendary Chondro, Mr. Blue. And uh, you know the the background of that animal and and, and Tim's background much better than I do. Um, But it, it was a sad day. But... Uh, you know, the animal lived, how old was he, 20 years old or something? 22. 
22 years old. Um, and yeah. you know, just really a, a foundation animal for, for so many people and so many other animals that, that people are working with today. Uh, so, you know, you went out with, you went out with a yep. bang, that's for sure. Yep, absolutely. And, um, if you haven't listened to it, we actually have a sh- uh, one of our shows has uh, uh, Tim Morris on here talking about Mr. Blue. So if you don't know who Mr. Blue is, or if you've got an inkling of who he is, and you want to learn out, learn more about him and his heritage, and uh, what type of uh, role he has played in designer condros, you can uh, find that out by listening to our other podcasts. Yeah, it's a great story. It's a great story for Tim. It's a great story for uh, the animal and for the hobby. Agreed. Well, do you All think right. we should bring Dan on? Yeah. Let's do All it. All right, let's do it. Dan O'Leary of DM Exotics. Welcome to GTP Keeper Radio. Uh, Thanks. We've, uh, yeah, sure. We're excited to have you here. I know I've listened to a uh, previous podcast of you on Morelia Python Radio, and um you're very active on YouTube. You have a great YouTube channel with a lot of neat informational uh, videos for folks to uh, explore and see some of your travels and also the inside of your business. So welcome to GTP Keeper Radio. Yeah, thank you. Hey, Dan. Thanks You're welcome. For, thanks for hey. coming along with us. Sure, my pleasure. So, Dan, we know you <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Dan, let, let me tell you, that's a lot better than the other. We have two sound effects, okay, associated with the show. We have that, and then we have this. <laughs> <laughs> that's where we had our first show. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey, yeah, like Buddy said, welcome to the show, man. Thank you. So, Dan, go ahead and, uh, if you wouldn't mind, just telling us your background, how you got into reptiles, um, that type of stuff, the, the, the stuff that, that's going to grab people. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it'll grab people, but uh, it actually <laughs> sounds, it sounds, you know, very much like most of us. Um, grew up in Southern California. Uh, I'll be 48 years old in a couple of months. So, um, you know, my, my days with reptiles started like when I was nine. So that's like the, the late seventies, um, started working for a pet store when I was 14 years old, the local store, the local store. And, um, it wasn't a reptile store, although we did have some reptiles, but, uh, I was able to hitch rides with the manager out to uh, California Zoological Supply, and um, I was able to go through there, you know, kind of a, a, have a special access, you know, as a store employee, even though I was a young kid. But uh, I would go through there and, and see just incredible stuff that blew my mind because it's not like it is today. You know, back then, you know, there was a lot more crazy stuff out there and available in the markets and that. So um, I used to, I used to buy all these animals and it would just go on the store's uh, account. And then my, I wouldn't see paychecks for months and months and months, but (laughs) um, yeah, but it was, it was really cool. Um, 
learned a lot, uh, got a lot of experience keeping different animals. And well, I, I truly thought at some point the, as the teenage years kind of set in and that I thought I would outgrow it because I always sort of felt, um, you know, my, my naive mind felt that it was kind of a, a kid's hobby, I guess, because my parents were not involved in reptiles at all. And everybody that came by the house, my dad worked friends and whatever, everyone was kind of like, you know, it was really foreign to them, to all of them. And I just, I don't know, for some reason in my mind, I just thought I'll probably outgrow this at some point, you know, I'll become an adult and, and reptiles will be, you know, no longer a part of my life. But what happened was, is uh, when I was 18, I got a, a real job and I just started making more money and I never outgrew it. And I just started spending more money and getting deeper <laughs> and deeper into it. Yeah. So it was kind of weird. Um, I was always attracted to the really odd stuff, uh, the stuff that other people weren't. And I don't know if it was because in high school, I wasn't like the most popular kid and I, I didn't want to be the most popular kid. I didn't want to play sports. I didn't want to do all that stuff. I, I just wanted to do what everybody else was not doing. And so I don't know. I feel like I just followed my passion with reptiles, but then again, it does kind of repel me a little bit when I, when I see, you know, everybody jumping on all these bandwagons, it's like, the, I, I want to do the opposite of that. It just, I don't know what it is, but it's just, it's just me, I guess. So um, I still haven't really been able to find out what, what's the driving force behind me always looking for the real obscure stuff, but either way, um, that's what I'm real passionate about. I'm really interested in all the weird stuff that nobody else is working with. And it clearly shows in DM exotics and, and what I'm, what I've worked with in the past and things that I've accomplished. And, and that's pretty much it. Um, as far as green tree pythons, I bought a collection in, I want to say 2000. So that was 18 years ago. I spent probably the most at that point I had ever spent on animals. I bought, I think it was like four, four adult green tree pythons from, from a guy named uh, Randy Barr. And they were all like designer bloodline animals. I can't remember exactly the names of all the bloodlines, but there was four animals. I spent like $4,500 and, back then 18 years ago to me that was a lot of money and i did end up getting those animals bred uh i was having no issues getting eggs but i was i was having issues getting eggs to hatch because back in those days they're really that the no substrate method wasn't really a thing and so i I had hatched a lot of different pythons so you know i was just burying eggs in vermiculite and, and everything was going bad and then i at some point i just got frustrated and decided let's just go maternal. Let me just do it. And I did, uh, I did a couple, a couple successful uh, hatchings of babies with maternal. And so I just kind of used my own template. Yeah. I just did, you know, like cockatiel or lovebird wooden breeder boxes filled with moss. And I, I put a probe inside there and mom was in there and I just sprayed the hell out of the cage, everything outside to increase the humidity, kept the temperature you know, below what you would have your incubator set at because so mom could generate, you know, a couple of degrees of heat if she needed to and or she could loosen them up and get them cooled down. And I had some beautiful babies. You know, I did that a couple times 
and then um and then I just moved on from there I uh, just started going after you know scrub pythons and and jungle carpets I was doing prior to the green trees but just doing all kinds of stuff different uh morph you know red tail boas and oh all kinds of stuff I've done it all but anyway so um I know you guys want to talk a little bit about the importing thing so um sure in my quest in my quest to obtain uh scrub pythons and colubrids and all these really bizarre things that I would see at the library, you know, checking out books. And then I started ordering and buying reptile books at expos and that sort of thing, flipping through all these pages. I'm like, where are these animals? Why am I not seeing these? And then every once in a while, some would pop up at some of the Miami um, guys, you know, and I'm over here on the, on the West coast. So I was having a lot of problems like vying for position, I guess you could say. So by the time, by the time I would, you know, get a, get a message in or whatever, the animals would get sold. So, um, in 2003, I just decided, you know what, no one's going to tell me. I did reach out to a bunch of people. Nobody responded. And, um, you know, I was asking for advice as people always are doing to me as well. You know, how do you import, who do you import from and all these other things. And, Nobody was giving me any information, so in 2003 I decided I'm I'm going overseas, and I'm just going to start looking around and poking around and seeing what I can figure out. So awesome. I went to Thailand. Uh, Thailand was my Thailand. was my first stop. Um, my supervisor at the time was a scuba diver. I also was a scuba diver, so he went to Thailand and did a liveaboard trip. So I I went. Because we were in the same detail, we couldn't have the same uh, time off together at the same time. So I went by myself. Uh, I did a liveaboard dive trip, went to Phuket and all that. And I quickly found myself in Bangkok at uh, Chatuchak Market, and I got into all the, you know, the big animal zone. It's a lot different now, but way back then it was very, very much unregulated. So uh, I started there not knowing that. Thailand was not a country that that wildlife could export from, but I didn't know that. I just, mm. you know, I went there for some different reasons for scuba diving and stuff. And I started getting to know all these animal dealers and a lot of them were telling me, yeah, we can do business. We can do business. Sure. You know, this and that. And so I didn't know any better, but I, I kept going back and I started, I, I earned the, uh, I gained the trust of a lot of the, the guys, you know, so they would, when I would show up, nobody wants cameras in their shops or in their little spot in their places. But uh, once they started getting to know me and realizing that I'm not any kind of you know wildlife enforcement or whatever, they started showing me all kinds of crazy stuff that they weren't supposed to have, huh. and it was it was really interesting. I was very intrigued by it all, and I actually did start doing business with. Uh, a guy in Thailand and then the animals would export out of Hong Kong. So mm. how any of those animals got to Hong Kong, I had no idea. I never asked. I, I was <laughs> always looking at, always looking at non-sighty stuff anyway, because all the, all the real obscure stuff is usually non-sighty. So um, yeah. So I did a couple of shipments via Hong Kong through this guy, you know, and the shipments were garbage. It it was really sad. And I almost 
gave up completely uh, because I was just losing money and and things were quite bizarre when I would go over there and you know if I complained about you know well these these were all dead and I lost all these and you never shipped these even though I paid you in advance and blah 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 and they would quickly like turn the tables and go, oh really well actually you owe us even more money and and it, it got crazy there was a couple crazy huh. incidents that happened over there and um i backed i backed off i bet totally backed out of uh of thailand and i started looking elsewhere and so i found my way into malaysia with a really really good guy that i'm still really close friends with today and i helped him out at an expo i flew over to kuala lumpur we were actually trading shipments back and forth so i would send him like like desert hairy scorpions and pac-man frogs and bearded dragons and corn snakes and and you know all that kind of stuff so i would send a shipment over there and then he would send me a shipment of i guess his version of you know corn snakes and you know whatever all the native (laughs) stuff there was what i wanted and all the native stuff here was what he wanted so we would trade shipments back and forth and then uh he had an expo over there and so i I staffed his table and it was kind of interesting because I did not see another Caucasian the entire weekend. It was, it was really interesting and people were very interested in me, who, who I was and everything. And um, I met some people from Indonesia and they asked if I would, you know, we kind of got to know each other and then they sort of uh, invited me to participate at an expo in Indonesia as a, you know, they have these big uh, reptile contest judging competitions, and they asked if I would be interested in participating as a judge. So, hey Dan, uh, knew, what year? What year was that approximately? What what time frame are you talking? Like your first uh, your first introduction to Indonesia? Indonesia started in two thousand eight. Okay. Yeah, in two thousand eight. So. Yeah, it was a number of years of me messing around in in Thailand with like all these weird I, I call it failed attempts to to get the get some business going, but uh, but yeah, it, it took some time to get it started, and then I took some time off, took some time away from it, but uh, found my way into Malaysia, and then from there, next thing I knew, I was actually um, a judge at at an expo in Indonesia, and then uh, unbeknownst to me. I was co-judging, you know, sitting next to on the panel, what would become my future supplier in Indonesia. So uh, at the time we, we talked a little bit and I think both of us kind of looked at each other, like we were each full of crap, you know, (laughs) know, because I, I didn't, I didn't have any evidence that he, he really was anybody. And I was kind of like, I was thinking back, to my experiences and, you know, uh, through the Hong Kong supplier. And I was kind of like, I don't even know if I want to do this again. Cause I was having, you know, these flashbacks and things of all the, the money that I lost and all that stuff. And I'm, I'm not a bragger by any way. Like everything that comes out of my mouth is, is the truth. It's legit. And so he kind of listened to what I had to say, but he was, you know, he had never heard of me and all this other stuff. So, by the time I got home, he had already fact-checked me with um, with some other importers here in the U.S., and they were like, yeah, I actually I buy 
I buy Malaysia stock from Dan. He, he's legit. You know, his, everything is everything is good. So next thing I knew, I had a price list, a master list, and we started talking. And then um, he was real happy because everything that I was asking for was stuff that nobody wanted. Nobody was asking like, for. Huh. Like what? So, like what kind of stuff? Like um, like Patias Carnata, Patias Macosa. All the Boliga, all the rear fang stuff, all the Clubrids, all the racers, the rat snakes, and all these weird rear fang things, the mock vipers, um, slug-eating snakes, paradise flying snakes, ornate flying snakes, all that stuff. All that weird, obscure stuff. He was like, yeah, uh, I have to take some of that stuff to get, you know, maybe blue-tongued skinks and, and... and uh, various monitors and such, and, and whatever, whatever all the all the regular stock that that his normal importers wanted, you know the the Strictlies and the Bushmasters and, and all this stuff. Like those guys didn't want to touch any of that stuff. So he was so excited because I was filling a niche that like he 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 really needed somebody like me, and and that was what I wanted. I wasn't even asking for any of the the regular Indonesian stock, you know, I was kind of more focused on the real obscure stuff. So anyway, we kind of forged ahead and, and it was funny because he would like the very first shipment he sent me, I don't know, I think it was three Patias Carnata and he searched back into the, uh, the, the database. And he says, I know for a fact that I haven't shipped any of these out in probably like 10 years and he was telling me that he was only able to research back, like, I think five years. And, and he was telling me that not one of, this, of these species has been exported out of Indonesia in the last five years. And I can't go back any further because that's as far back wow. as I can do a search. So, you know, here I am. And, and now I'm starting to bring in these things. And nobody even ever heard of that genus. Nobody knew what any of this stuff was. And now I feel like... Everybody knows what it is. And the Bushmasters and the Strictlies and, and the Flippers and everybody else, now everybody's scrambling to try to get that stuff because it's a moneymaker. Yeah, right. You know, that, that, that wasn't the reason that I got into it. I just wanted that stuff. The first time I saw, I saw a giant 10-foot Patias Carnata in, uh, in Bangkok at the, uh, the Red Cross snake farm, I saw one on display and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And I didn't know what it was either. But I I wrote down the I wrote down the scientific name and when I got home I, I just that was always something I was always asking for. And that was years before I finally even managed to get one. And so so it just kinda of became my game. It kind of became my thing. Um I I set out to do that because it was something those were animals that I wanted for my personal collection and and then I was successful in, in doing so. So, um, yeah, so I just keep keep rolling along. The the whole import thing became like a really big part of DM Exotics. Even though I've been captive breeding all the way back since day one, there's not, not one year in like the last 25 years that I have not produced something captive bred, you know, by me here at home. <laughs> so, um, you know, the, the captive breeding was always – an ongoing thing, but the, the import side of stuff just, it became like a whole nother side of my business and it just kind of grew. And my eyes started to open to 
you know, a whole bunch of more species that, that I wasn't familiar with. Um, and I expanded into an, a few other countries as well for a while, not so much now, but I, I did at the time trying to, you know, Mexico and Chile and Solomon Islands and, and just different places. So there were inverts because inverts were also always an interest of mine. So I had inverts coming through and, and all kinds of stuff. And, and, and I just became like a really hardcore keeper of everything. And, and even though it's a business, it's like it, it definitely is a legitimate business that's earning some serious income, especially now growing to the point where, where it's at right now. But, you know, I'm always kind of a hobbyist because it's, you know, it's, I, even though I, I'm forced to look at it as a business now, but I'm still a hobbyist. You know, I still – I still come across right. some really cool stuff that makes me all excited the same as I did when I was a little kid, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, I mean, Damn. that's, that's the perfect, perfect business, isn't it? I mean, to do something like that, <laughs> you know, something that you yeah. really enjoy like that, that is, that is your hobby. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 It, exactly. Except, um, I was at a crossroads. Let's see. When was this? This was probably about 2000. I think about 2002, 2003. I was at my job and really burned out, even though I'd only been there for a couple of years, but um, I didn't want to do it anymore. I wanted to, I wanted to do reptiles and um, I actually sat down with, um, with Jay Brewer and his wife and, I was real serious about opening up another prehistoric pets and being like a franchise. And I was going to open, open one up. And at that time he wasn't like all reticulated pythons at that time. It was just a really cool store where you could go to see really cool stuff, all kinds of stuff. And so I was thinking, man, you know what, you know, I'd, I'd sit down with him and he would say, yeah, you'll have access to all of my suppliers and blah, blah, blah. And I was I was really close to pulling the trigger, super close. Hmm. And, um, and my dad at the time, he was not cool with that idea. He Hmm. was, he was, he was kind of like, no, you need to stay at your job. You know, I I don't know about a future in this or whatever. So I kind of, I kind of debated and thought real hard on it. And then I, I came up with the, uh, with the idea, you know what, I'm going to keep this job. And I'm going to do the reptile business. All I'm going to do both. And, yeah. I, and here I am, you know, 20 something years later, I'm, I'm, you know, DM exotics. I'm in my 21st year and I'm getting ready I, to retire from that regular job in January. I so was going to ask you, I uh, it off. Still, <laughs> yeah, good for you. Uh, on that uh, same note, I'm also retiring from my real job in January. Of awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Man, congratulations. Awesome. Yeah, same to you. <laughs> yeah, it's a good feeling. Oh yeah, it, it's really good. But I believe I'm going to be retiring kind of from both simultaneously. I, I am going to. I guess we're kind of talking about this a little bit out of order, but I'm going. My plan is to actually run DM Exotics full time for about six to eight months after I retire, just to feel. You know, uh, not to bash these other guys that are just doing that only, but I want to feel how easy that is because it's not easy when you're working like 52, 55 <laughs> hours a week 
and you're Preach shooting it. boxes Preach on a weekly it, basis. You know, it. it's it's crazy. So I, I want to see what it feels like when, and I want to see how much I can do when I'm just doing that only, or yeah. or even just have some time to relax on the side, you know, and and run this business and and I just want to I want to get a taste of that, but I have no regrets though. I have you know I'm I, I'm I'm in a really good position right now, so. So it's all good, but it, it's been stressful, definitely. Well, I mean, you've hit a lot on on what DM Exotics um, does already. Uh, how much or how often do you travel? How much time do you spend in Indonesia? Do you have to spend significant time there? Um, I can only get about seven weeks off per year. Uh, with my regular job. So I usually do like a four week trip and then a three week trip because oh, wow. um, my, my wife is Thai. And for those, those of your listeners that follow the channel, we've built a huge house in Thailand and it's going to be done here in the next probably three to four weeks. So we're actually going to be relocating over there. But uh, so our trips always end up with staying in Thailand to visit her family and, you know, so she can see her family. And then we always do adventures as part of our trip. So if we go over there for like four weeks, it's usually three weeks of, of travel, maybe two weeks of travel adventure, one week of business and one week of, of my wife spending time with her family. Usually kind of how it is, but it sure is going to be nice as a retiree being able to, to disappear for, you know, six months, eight months, a year, forever, whatever I decide, you know, I don't have to go back, you know, report back to work and all that kind of stuff. All that's done. It's going to be an amazing feeling because I I love traveling and I love it over there. So, you know, I'm going to be, that's, that's the new home base for sure over there. So it's going to be really, really cool. Are you going to maintain a residence in the United States? I'm going to have um, a place to stay here in the U.S., and I'm going to be able to uh, maintain all the caging and everything and okay. expo expo materials, banners okay. a little bit. So yeah. that way I can I can slide back into it at, at any moment. But I believe we are going to probably come back twice a year to do uh, the bigger shows, the yeah. ones where yeah. we're, like, firmly established in because um you know i'm definitely not gonna just walk away and shut everything down you know goodbye to dm exotics i'm not gonna do that because even with the social media and the youtube channel we've like we've built it up pretty good size it's getting it still has a lot of growing to do but it's becoming very well known so we want to continue building on that on a couple of different levels so we're gonna we're gonna be doing a lot of stuff but I'm going to I'm going to be able to maintain, you know, caging in that. There's a couple of animal projects I'm going to place with uh with some really good people, just a couple of like real like things that are real near and dear to my heart that I don't want to relinquish completely. So, uh you know, I'll, I'll always have my hand in it at some, you know, on some level, but I'd like to come back and do expos. We want to do uh, we want to offer some tour services as well, whether it's herp tours or adventure tours yeah. or 
just regular vacation. So we're going to, we're going to work that angle too. If, you know, we've done some extensive travels, we've made many, many contacts along the way. And my wife actually graduated um, from university with a bachelor's degree in tourism management. So um, we just have a lot of, you know, accolades that, that will allow us to do, um, do tours and stuff. So even if we come back, a couple times a year for expos, I can have at, I can have some really cool handpicked animals shipped back to me, and so we can put up put together a table that that will be animals and promoting tours, you know, for whoever wants to go out into the jungle and different countries and see this and see that, and and I I think it'll I think it'll all work. I think I think I have a really good plan. At least I think it is, and yeah, we're just, we're gonna work it from all angles. Sounds like you sounds like you got it planned out very well, buddy. Did did you uh, did you have a question that you wanted to ask Dan? Yeah, Dan. Uh, yeah, I wanted to rewind back to the. Uh, you know, you got you're getting me all excited talking about ordering all these things. I got two questions for you. One is sure. uh, the first thing is what uh, is there, was there one animal that you unboxed? You're like, I can't believe I actually have this animal here. And what's the weirdest, most unique thing that you asked for that you were able to get? Oh, wow. Those are two really good questions. Um, I'm not going to lie. There's been so many animals that come through here. Uh, I, I have animals coming in a couple of weeks that, that um, uh, a couple of different Lycodon species. To most people, no big deal or they don't even, they don't know what it is, don't care what it is. But, you know, there's a couple of species of Lycodon that are like uh, crate mimics, um, black and white banded, just super cool stuff. I've never had any of those come through here. And, you know, in a couple of weeks, I've, I've got a couple of those coming in. So anything, anything like that to me, it, it just makes me all stupid because I just get really excited about anything. But it kind of at this point, I've seen so many animals, so many obscure animals, things that most people have never seen before. And I've seen a lot of it. So it's, it isn't every day that I, that I get to see something, you know, that's super bitching, but um, there, there really isn't any one animal that that like that I could remember because there's been just so many just all the obscure stuff. If I I not to sound like I'm Mister Know It All guy, but if I've never seen it or if I've never held it in my hand, that's the animal right at that moment that's getting me the most excited. Hmm. Because gotcha. okay. yeah, because, you know, just because I've 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 really put myself in into a, a place where. I've seen a lot of stuff and I've, I've had a lot of stuff and, and even, you know, overseas I've, I've, you know, been able to hold certain things and just go, wow, this is unbelievable. And whether I've was able to get it here into this country or not, but I've still, I still have been exposed to it. So it's, it's tough. I can't really say like what one thing, but the Pataias Carnata, for an example, the first time I I popped a crate open and and pulled a, a ten foot one of those out of a bag, 
and it tried mm-hmm. to kill me, but I was <laughs> I, I was blown away that I I actually did it because I set out to do that you know so many years prior and it took a long time, and when I finally unboxed that animal, I, I was I was blown away. I couldn't believe it. And then the next thing, the next part of it was, what do I feed it? How do I take care of it? How, how do I keep it alive? You know, and all that kind of stuff. Cause right. it wasn't, it wasn't anything I could Google or, you know, grab a handbook or whatever. It was all kind of pioneering. So like all that kind of nice. stuff. Yeah. And then Dan, what about the, what about the next step? I mean, how much of that stuff did you, after getting established, did you say, I want to reproduce this stuff? Yeah, that that's the hard part because that's what I want to do with everything. <laughs> of course, <laughs> you know I want that I want that notch on my belt. After I do it, then all of a sudden I'm kind of focusing my attention onto the the animal that I have not done that yet with. So um, now I've got a lot of notches on my belt. But it's stuff that doesn't register on on the average hobbyist radar at all. You know, all these Boiga things that I bred way before there was any kind of interest in Boiga. It seems like now there's like a really strong interest in in Boiga, but when I was breeding it, nobody cared. You know, you pop up a photo or make a a post somewhere in some group or whatever, and people would just kind of go, oh, yeah, that's a cool skinny little snake. What, now, show me some ball pythons, you know, and it, it, it just got, yeah, it was just, you know, in the, in the fringe, in the shadows of what everybody else was doing. To me, I thought it was bitching, but, but to most people, they, they didn't really care. Now there's some, some interest, um, you know, and some animals are becoming, you know, general knowledge, you know, commonly used, you know, people know what boiga are, you know, that kind of thing. So, but I've kind of been there, done that, and, and you know, I, I got all those notches <laughs> on my belt. So, um, But I have the knowledge, though. That's the one thing that is super valuable is just the knowledge of how to do all that stuff. And it, and it didn't Correct. seem to be very, yeah. very difficult, you know. But maybe somebody like me that's, you know, been a hobbyist for most of their life, it's just you just use your – you use your intuition as, as opposed to – you know, even nowadays, I don't really want to know what somebody else did to get something bred or get something acclimated. Uh, I'm not not to sound arrogant, but I just kind of feel like, nah, I'm not going to overthink it. And what I what I see, I'm sure you guys do it too all the time, and it it always kind of baffles me. And I don't realize it until after the fact. But I can go through some of my work areas, and I will pick up on something. Some one snake is doing something a little bit different or out of the ordinary it may be sitting in a different place or or sitting in a different uh, position or something and and you will adjust you'll just do it automatically you'll just say oh you know what i think there's an ovulation coming or i need to put in a male or this or that and you will just make adjustments but you don't even think about it and then all of a sudden like a week later you go, wow, you know what? I recognize that last week. I didn't even think about it, but I, I did pull that water bowl out or I did introduce that male or whatever. And so I just like going by instinct. I guess when, when you have all that experience, you can rely on that. 
there's so many things that I see that I notice that nobody else would pick up on or at least the average person wouldn't, you know, and I just see it and I just go, Oh my gosh, I got to throw that mail in right now because, because of this, because of that, you know, you know, your animals. I remember, um, um, Dave Barker, he told me, he said, your animal, this is, and this is way, way back, like as like a 17 year old going to one of the old expos where, where they would set up at. And, and, you know, I never forget this. He told me, he said, your animals will tell you everything that's going on. You just need to pick up on it. And when you, when you do realize it and you start picking up on things, that's when you will be able to adjust and make changes along the way to make things happen. And, and that, that's exactly right. You just have to pay attention, you know? And so yeah, it's just interesting. So I use that to, to get all these weird, obscure things bred, to get them established, all these other things. And it seems like everything, everything's right on the money, you know, and I don't need to ask somebody else, you know, how did you do this? Or how did you do that? Cause I just kind of go, I just, I just let myself work, work through it. And it's usually correct, you know? Well, that's, I mean, that's, uh, that's good. That is, I mean, you know, that just goes to show, I mean, that's just experience and there's nothing that can replace experience. There's not a person you can call a book you can read or, uh, anything else you can do other than just put in the time. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly right. Yep. Yeah. And it's just uh, it's not uh, we, we, we Yeah, Bill. Well, I was just going to say, you know, it's it's just not a particular species that you have to know and learn. It's literally the animal. You know, yes, because you right. could have you could have a half dozen different chondros or whatever you're working with, but they can all be very different and you just it just takes it takes time to learn that particular animal. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. But I guess also because I've always been interested in all this obscure stuff, I've built my knowledge base around all that obscure stuff. So, mm. so that's that's where I guess I, I hesitate to call myself an authority, but I guess that's kind of where where I become the authority on a lot of these obscure things, you know? Because I've never, well, I don't want to say never, but I, I've worked a lot of the mainstream stuff back in the days, but I've always gravitated towards the stuff that nobody was working with so and i found a lot of the mainstream stuff really easy and some of it almost kind of like too easy you know yeah it was just like oh my gosh more eggs you know or or feeling follicles and you and you go wow man you bought that ultrasound machine i use my fingers (laughs) i and i just counted how many follicles there are and i wrote it on a card and and i'll bet you my car that this animal will lay that many eggs you know, when, when and it, <laughs> just things like that, it was just, it was un, you know, unbelievably easy to me. I was like, wow, this is, this is simple stuff right here, man. This is no wonder so many people are hatching these or whatever, you know? So, um, but I always, I always, I always chase after the weird, weird stuff that nobody was doing. That's the bottom line, I guess. Well, Dan, what about your, uh, what about in your collection now, chondro wise, are, are you actively keeping chondros now? Yeah, I have um, I have a an aru that I, an adult female aru that I bought off a buddy of mine that bought it from 
uh, Bushmaster as a Neo. And so she's like a, a really, really big female. And then <clears throat> I have a, I have a designer male that I would have to look, look up the, um, the lineage, but I have a designer male. That's pretty cool to go with her. And then I have a couple um, YGO animals that I imported as youngsters. So I have a pair of those set up and then I have um, a couple of little sarongs that I grew up from hatchlings and a couple of arus that I grew up from hatchlings. So just, just a little bit of stuff. Um, yeah. Cause I mean, they are there. It's, it's my logo, you know, so obviously green tree pythons are <laughs> something that I've always, you know, really dug on. So um, yeah. So I always, I always have green tree pythons around and then every so often, you know, I'll come, I'll, I'll come across in one of my shipments, like a cool Bioc or whatever. And I'll go, wow, you know what? I want to see how that out. turns out. Cause yeah. it looks weird, you know? Right. So I just, I'll have different stuff like that, but there's always green tree pythons around here anyway, <laughs> for sure. Do you do anything crazy husbandry wise? I mean, do you do anything out of the ordinary? Do you, you know, provide a, a warm spot or do you single room temperature or, Anything spray, um, don't spray. I mean, what kind of what do you do? Those animals I have set up in my office, so the office is not warm. So there's, I have uh, radiant heat panels in all of those big, they're real big, like decorative arboreal cages. And oh, okay. um, I don't, I don't, I mean, I, of course I feed and water them and stuff, but I don't really, obviously you haven't seen any captive bred, you know, U.S. captive bred babies from me you know, in a long time. So it's not something that I'm really working on. It's just stuff that I, I have it cause I like it. And, right. and they're just there, you know, I, I, I enjoy green tree pythons, of course. So I feel like I, I should always have some green tree pythons and um, yeah, but I'm not, I'm obviously, as everybody knows, I'm not a hardcore breeder of them. So uh, maybe every once in a while I'll, I'll get lucky with something, but I don't, I don't really put a lot of effort into it. I just, they're, they're just really nice animals in my office, in my pretty cages. That's about it. <laughs> Absolutely. How many, how many green trees would you say that you import in a year? If you had to just guess, you know, import and. In a year, mm, probably. Maybe seventy, maybe seventy or so, seventy, seventy-five. I think would be a good average number. Yeah. And they're they're almost always um, beox babies. They're the most prolific, and they they tend to lay larger clutches, and the babies establish easier usually. Right. So sure. um, so that's usually that's usually what I'm I'm dealing in. Um. And every once in a while, it'll be something, some other weird thing. But um, usually, those animals are so expensive, uh, even for the supplier. You know, he may offer me something, you know, and he'll say, "Hey, I have a guy, you know, I can I can get, you know, a, a couple from from my neighbor, the far the, the farm that's his neighbor or whatever. I he's offering a, you know, we can trade some things back and forth, and um, you know, are you interested in a couple?" whatever's but the prices are usually super crazy and i just kind of 
kind of go, nah, I'm I'm good, but thank you. Because, you know, everybody, the, uh, everybody makes a cut, you know, everybody sure, makes a sure. bit. Yeah, so, along the way, right. Yeah. Have, have, yeah, so. have you noticed that? Have you noticed in the last few years that just chondros have become more expensive to, you know, to get to get out of of Indonesia, but be either because of lack of collection or lack of production no. or less demand or whatever. No, um, for the for the biok animals, no, but the, for the other stuff, yes. Gotcha. So, but I'm hmm. usually usually what happens is if if I get any like other type locality animals. Um, I usually sit on them here. I like to watch them change and I like to just have them sitting here. And it's usually very, very, very few in number. Um, also the Biocs established better. So for me as a person that sells chondros, I sit on animals for a very long time. And a lot of times everything other than Biocs take a, quite a while to establish. They're a little bit sensitive and it's no different than you guys establishing animals that you're hatching. You know, I'm getting those same hatchlings except they're going through another transition period, you know, when they get to me. But right. I have I have I have a very basic protocol that I that I do, you know, I set them all up in racks and little tubs and and just do my do my little thing with them and and I've for me going back to the days when I when I was dealing with all my own little hatchlings um, sitting in the in the dark or in a dimly lit room with tweezers and a glass of hot water and and you know doing frozen thawed pinkies on on tweezers and you know I, I know how all that works and so yeah. um, I I find myself you know doing that also sometimes here but the biog animals are usually really straightforward but regardless I like to sit on them because um, I you know the the reputation that all the green tree pythons are putting out there is don't buy anything that's imported regardless of, you know, who it's from or whatever. And, and so I like to, I like to, to rock that boat quite, quite hard. And I sit on all the stuff that I get for a very long time. I could have, I could have hatchlings here that they've been sitting here for six months before I may roll out to an expo with, with 10 baby Biox or whatever. And you don't hear about my stuff dying. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm selling to yeah. all, all levels of keepers and I'll, I'll sometimes leave my table and walk people around to other vendors to help them pick what cage or, or what I think is the best, you know, setup and that sort of thing. And, and my customers have very, very positive experiences with that. And, I think the biggest issue besides the U.S. breeders trying to protect their own interests, and I get it, but, um, you know, besides that, it's, it's, it's baby green tree pythons arriving at other importers' places, and then they, they quickly change hands to some retail stores, and then there's like a, you know, a 16-year-old kid that is in charge of the reptile department, and he and he comes in after he gets out of high school twice a week, you know, and yeah. he probably doesn't have the the knowledge or the care. So, you know, the, how to, how to put these things, you know, get these things straight and all that. So that's the stuff that is maybe deserving of, you know, people saying don't buy this and don't buy that. But, but when you're buying from yeah. me, you know, it, I, I put my approval on it. 
and I have no I have no problem selling selling the the few animals that I I roll out to shows with because I've I've well, already we, dialed them in, you know. You know, we, we we've certainly come across um, you know, in our show and in our just personal um comings across people that you know, tend to do things like that the right way and people that tend to do things like that the wrong way. And, sure. um, you know, we've always supported people uh, that import animals and do it the right way. And for us, the right way, you know, the last thing that, at least me personally, that I want to see is somebody having their first experience with a chondro to be a bad one, you know, because, oh, yeah. you know, uh, to me, nothing could be better than somebody having their first experience with a chondro if I'm just let's say I'm just talking purely business. Let's say I'm just a total right. in a total for the business. I want the first right. person. I want that that person to have their first experience to be a good one for the green tree because maybe you know a couple years down the line they'll buy they'll, they'll buy one of my animals. But if they have a bad exactly. experience, if they have a bad right. experience, you know, with their first one or their second one, and they keep dying and they can't get them established. Well, then they'll never buy one of my animals. You know, so I can I can tell you right now. I'm the I'm the second I'm usually the second animal that these people will buy from because I, I, I hear it all the time, you know, I I bought one from, from this place, bought one from that place and it died. And then they start talking to me for a while or they already know who I am or have heard from somebody else, you know, about me or about my reputation and then uh they end up buying the, maybe their second animal from me and then it uh-huh. it goes on to kick butt. And I get all kinds of people that follow up with me, you know, that have bought, you know, the the first, the first message I'll get is, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. It ate the day after I got home. And and it's like, yeah, you know, that's, I'm, I'm happy to hear that, but that doesn't surprise me because it would, it would eat the day after it got home. If I, if it didn't sell here and I brought it home that, you know, I, I know those animals are good. So yeah, for sure. Those people have a good experience with a green tree python from something they buy from me. And then, yeah. Obviously, the the natural progression is to start, you know, starting to spend some some serious money on some designer stuff or whatever, and get some really cool looking stuff, you know, that's different than the the wild type look. Yeah. So, so I, I I'm doing my part too, you know, because yeah, I, 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 you know, because I'm putting in my I'm putting in the work. So. Well, it, and it is work, right. especially with the first the first time buyer, you know, sure. first green tree. I mean, I yeah, I know it's work. I know it's work for you. There's yeah. a lot of questions. There's a lot of yeah. you know, anxiety a lot of times, and and people yep. that you know that ha- that have a clue. There should be a little anxiety, you know. Yeah. And so definitely. they need some, they need some they need some reassuring. And yeah, man, man, I get that. And and I'm a I'm a big proponent of people that do that the right way. It does nothing but help me, who is a captive bred producer. You know, yep. it does nothing totally. but help. What hurts me are the people that don't do it the right way. And, yeah, for you know, sure. And it, and it hurts me too. <laughs> it hurts yeah, me also. Yeah, yeah, it does hurt. You know, yeah, it does hurt. You know, because uh, a guy has a bad experience and they just they look at the table and go, man, I love the color of those snakes, but they die. Let's let's move on to the ball pythons. And then they keep walking. Yeah. So, yeah. you know. Right. Yep. <laughs> great great well, conversation. That's, that's good stuff. Yeah, that's good stuff, Dan. Yep. Absolutely. So, uh, Dan, Bill and I, when we, like, research for shows, we always, you know, we toss out ideas for shows. And um, 
we were someone shared a video of you um, with some green tree pythons in the wild, and uh, Bill and I were had discussed about the possibility of having you on the show to uh, talk about your encounters with, with chondros in the wild, and um, you know you're probably going to be the second person I think on the show that's actually been able to say, hey, I've actually seen these animals in the wild. Um, and uh, so we're, we're very excited to hear about these encounters and maybe what you've learned from them. Um, and uh, we're hoping you're going to share a lot with us about those encounters. Yeah. Um, that, that experience, that, that was the first of many because I'm going to be going back to do a whole bunch of um whole bunch of viewing of, of wild chondros because I, I feel like I have it dialed in now pretty well. But, um, you know, my wife and I, we started traveling to West Papua and, uh, you know, we're, we're looking for, for animals um, every trip. We're having phenomenal time doing all sorts of different activities, but we're always looking for reptiles. And um, we had two trips over there where we didn't find any, any of the target species at all. And the last time, which was last November, we headed over there, and 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 we got really lucky, and we kind of just figured it all out. Um, the first time we were on Waigeo Island, which is in Raja Ampat, um, which is just to the east of Sarong, so it's basically you know all the all the Sarong type animals, wild type stuff there. And um, we had our guides with us. We had our little snake guru guy, and and you can see him in the videos as well, uh, you know, in the intro and all that. And really cool people, and real, real pretty knowledgeable people. People that can survive out there, and you know, they know everything there is about the the jungle and that. And and we just started heading out. Um, we had actually looked a couple of nights for green tree pythons in. Um, a different part of YGO and we we struck out and the it was a different guide that we were using this particular night that I'm going to be telling you about but um, the the guide that we used the day before he seemed super skilled as well and he was really bummed that that we struck out because he was taking us into this this certain habitat with these certain trees and everything where he had seen them before and we didn't see any so we we're you know we're building on our on our knowledge base uh, we remember those trees and we remember what all this stuff looks like and the habitat mm-hmm. because we could walk through the jungle and the you know the the guide would just blaze through certain areas where the trees weren't the right type of tree and all this and then all of a sudden we would come into this weird clearing and all the trees were different all of a sudden and then and then it would be like Okay, he starts pointing, you know, this whole area, <laughs> this is where we're looking. And it's like, okay, cool, you know. So anyway, so we had that knowledge from a a couple nights before. So we headed up this trail with a different guide. And I don't know if he had that knowledge or not, but but we sure did if if it was accurate. And we we started walking right. up the side of this mountain and I always put my wife in front of me because it's rude for her to be walking in back of me, and and I like to keep an eye on on uh, 
on her footsteps as well. You know, just I'm, I'm a guy, you know, should be watching out for your wife. So I don't want anybody to get sure. lost behind me or whatever. So she's in front of me and the guy's in front of her and the guy just blazes on by this low line tree and my wife just freezes in her tracks and she just starts doing this unbelievable excited chicken dance <laughs> like she I had never seen her so excited and I'm like what what's going on and she like grabbed my head and like pointed my eyeballs and it is like look and I'm like oh my gosh I couldn't believe it I was I was just beside myself so we uh we turned on the video cameras and and we tried to get as real of an experience as possible captured on video because I was super excited and uh, you can see by the size of my eyeballs, you know? So, um, so yeah, so we, we did our thing with that one and we continued on, we found another one and then we found a third one and then we basically got rained out after that. But I have no doubt in my mind that if we continued on, we were going to be able to find uh, more. Actually the trail that we were on was going to be, it was a very long trail. Um, that would have put us like back in the village at like 3 a.m. And then we, we were going to go by boat and they were going to, you know, take us back to our little, our little homestay. Um, so we, we had like the whole route plan, but we decided to turn around and go back cause it was, it was raining really, really hard. Okay. But um, all the chondros that we found were um, down, they were all at night and they were all super low to the ground. Um, one of them was actually on the ground, but it was sort of at an elevated position on some limestone rocks. It was just coiled up right there on the limestone, but it was at, like I said, like a, like an elevated position that would have given it a really good advantage to ambush something that would have scurried, you know, just maybe eight to 10 inches below it on the dirt. If something ran by and everything was poised in ambush position and everything was usually within about a foot of the ground. So, wow. you know, if you're you're walking through the jungle with your flashlights pointed up into the trees, that's not <laughs> that's not where you're, you're going to find them. <laughs> yeah, they're they're all right there, you know, at, at your ankle, ankle or calf level um, on all these on all these low lying trees and, and branches and stuff. And they were it, it was always a certain type of tree. And I don't know the name of the tree, but it was somewhat bare. Um and I don't even know how I would know it if I saw it, but um, just in describing it, it was more of kind of like a, a waxier leaf as opposed to something dry. And then the, the, the trunks and stuff were, were somewhat bare and, uh, hmm. and they weren't like gigantic trees, you know, they were kind of smaller in diameter and they had some branches and things that would come out. And so, yeah, it was, uh, it was really unbelievable um so we were able to hey, document Dan, all that stuff yes i was going to ask you uh were they perched like you would see in a typical uh chondro like on a you know pvc branch or were they more like kind of splayed out on no, several you, little branches the way, or the way the way that you see your chondros at night when you creep through with your flashlight and they're hungry uh-huh they were yeah. just that's what they were doing just ambush like that not, cool. not coiled in any kind of resting position everything was at, gotcha. in an ambush position straight yeah. straight down yeah looking looking yep. straight down yep yeah angled down you know and, and my wife said i wonder what they eat you know and then shortly thereafter 
we came across some, I don't know if they were rats or, or what they were. There's some kind of, you know, jungle mammal of some sort, some kind of a rodent. Yeah. So um, it seemed like that's pretty much what they were, they were probably after. But uh, did you? Uh, yeah, and then uh, I'm, I'm sorry to keep interrupting. No, did you try to handle no. handle any of them? Yeah, I handled across? all of them. Yeah, I handled all of them that that night, and all of them were totally cool. Uh, they, oh, wow. they didn't. Yeah, they didn't try to get me at all. I mean, I used a hook at first to get them get them off the the branches. Like there was no way I was like not gonna molest any of those because it, <laughs> yeah. I had to have those pictures in that video. But it was really no cool doubt. that I was able to show wild demeanor also because that also for me is part of the learning and part of educating people even if i'm even if it's local people that are watching my channel because i'll tell you what i have a lot of fans in indonesia a lot of fans in in papua and they they totally love it that i'm promoting their natural wildlife cool. and educating awesome. and so so yeah so i when I can show animals that, that are, are, you know, have a very calm demeanor and I'm just handling them like they're super cool and, and they were, then that, that helps dispel a lot of, a lot of stuff that goes on over there, you know, where every snake, any snake, every snake's a dead snake or whatever, any good snake's a dead snake or whatever they say. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that. So, yeah. um, So, yeah, I held, I held all of them every, all of them were really mellow to my surprise, but I really kind of didn't care if I got bit or not. Cause I was just too taken by the, by the fact that I was, you know, finding these wild guys. But, um, about a week later I found my, myself on Kofiao Island. And then that's all oh. video we found. Uh, I think we found three, three or four. I can't remember, um, other specimens on Kofiao also. So it was just really cool to be able to um, document the the way that they looked, you know, the the patterns, the tail colors, and all that kind of stuff. And um, it was really interesting that you know the animals that I were that I was finding were really different from each other. Every individual was different from each other. Mm-hmm. There was no there was no carbon copy stamp, you know, of every single one looking the same. There were some of them had white flecks. Some of them had no white. Some of them were vibrant with blue. Some of them not so much. White bellies and yellow bellies and all kinds of different stuff. And it was just, uh, it was really interesting because I was expecting them all to look identical. You know, right. where, you, where like we do in the hobby where you go, oh, yeah, that's an Aru and that's a Sarong. And that's this and that's that. And, and it's not, it's not like that. There, it just seemed like every animal was different from each other. And, and, you know, we're on a trail where we're, you know, we haven't even, we found like all three within probably a quarter of a mile f- from each other, like a pretty, pretty small distance from each other. And, hmm. and even those animals were all very different from each other. So, and they're all on the video, like you can see them and they, they just, they're all different from each other. It's kind of weird. And then the Kofiao animals, there were no yellow ones, you know, not to say that there were, you know, I'm sure collecting has affected maybe some of the wild population, but, you know, we found a bunch and, and, uh, you know, I didn't see any yellow ones, but um, there were some, there was some yellow 
you know, ventrally there was some yellow more than what I had remembered seeing on, on the Y-gale animals. So that was a little bit different, but, uh, but they were doing the same thing, ambush position, low to the ground, you know, everything was the same. Hey, Dan was, was the Island of coffee. Owl, was it significantly different than, you know, than the other, uh, islands that you were on? I mean, as far as like terrain, Bushes, really. scrub, trees, that kind of stuff. No, pretty much no, just the same not, old thing. Just a different really. island. Yeah, yeah. I mean, where we were, there were there were more like some some more like flat areas, um, but I don't know if those areas had been cleared for yeah. um, some sort of agriculture or not. But uh, but no, I think pretty much it was the same. The habitat was the same. You know. And then on Kofiel also, for those of you that haven't seen the videos, you know, I found viper boas. I caught a scrub python. Like, those were all huge to me. Because whenever I see stuff that I've worked with, you know, here at home in the United States, and then I, I see it in the wild, it really blows my mind. Because it's yeah. just, it's very difficult to comprehend. The green tree python was the most, like, damaging to my brain because – you know, my entire life, I've seen those things in, you know, in Neodesha two-by-two cubes, you know, cages <laughs> on PVC yep, perches right. and things. You know what I mean? And, and and now all of a sudden, I'm seeing one. I'm standing in the middle of the jungle, you know, and I, and it yeah. just, it was hard to, to compute, you know. It was like, yeah. this doesn't, this is hurting my brain, you know. And and I'll be <laughs> completely honest. I'll, I'll be completely honest with you. It It's, it's totally screwed me up like <laughs> permanently for the rest of my life because now now when i see all these animals my mind goes right back to all these experiences of me finding them in the wild and yeah. then of course it it continually challenges me you know where it's like is and it i realize i'm an importer most people think i'm evil and and it doesn't go along with all this, you know, captive breeding and all these other things. But it it's it goes beyond that even. To me, it's like, is it right that we're keeping any of this stuff in cages? I don't care where it well, I don't I don't mm-hmm. care if it's captive bred or not, because once you start seeing this stuff in the wild, it it really messes you up. It really yeah. does. And so it well it, it's it's something I, that I've struggled with for the last like many years, but the more and more that I travel and the more that I see all this really cool stuff in the wild, it, it, it starts to really. Um, well, yeah. 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 Really yeah. Does. It really does. Very, very interesting. Well, buddy and I don't think you're evil. <laughs> no, we don't. We, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't have you on the show if we thought you were evil. <laughs> But yeah, you know, there's, I mean, and that's a whole, that's for a whole different show. You know, the moral sure, dilemma of, of keeping an animal in a, in a box, uh, yeah. whether it's captured or imported. Right. Yeah. That for all, for our entertainment, that that's a whole different conversation, but obviously the right. people that are listening to this show and the people that we have on and buddy and I, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're proponents of, of it for, for better or worse. Um, sure. Of course. That's right. You know, so it is. It is so what again, it is. So it's, it, that's it. It is. It's uh, you know we're keeping live animals confined. Um, you know, and, you know you have to be able to 
I guess process that and be able to process that in the way where you think it's beneficial for you. Um, so having seen these animals in the wild, you know, have you taken back anything into your own captive husbandry? Like, you know, maybe I'll incorporate this or, or I'll change this. Has, has that happened from these wild encounters? Yeah. You know, I've, I've, I guess, not I haven't didn't even think about it until you asked me that question, but I've I've been switching animals over to um natural perching and branches and things as opposed to the to the PVC just based on mm-hmm. the things that I've seen in the wild. Not that it probably makes any kind of difference, but um but that's just something that I've I've changed after I saw that sort of stuff. But beyond that it uh you know, I already knew when it, when a green tree python is hungry, you know, and you see it at night and it's doing that ambush thing, of course, it's kind of obvious that it's it's hungry, you know. And so seeing them doing that in the wild, you know, it's like you, the feeding, sporadic feeding of green tree pythons is, is a good thing in my opinion. And a lot of times you'll see your green tree pythons perched and perched and perched and perched and you know, just doing that perfect coil. And then all of a sudden you see Mm -hmm. it, you know, one evening it's in that ambush position. And it's like, okay, well, now I'm going to feed it, you know, and then it goes back to being perched. And so, I don't know. I mean, that's all common sense, really. I mean, you you see it all the time in your captive collections. But some animals are looking for for food every every single night. Every night. Every night. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah. So I don't know. Um, I think most of what we're doing, I mean, we're having tons of success keeping them in captivity. So they obviously right. don't don't need, you know, all the all the fancy stuff that goes on in nature. But it is just it's just cool to see them, you know, how how they were how they were living and all that. And and I couldn't even. I couldn't even imagine how many more there were up high in those trees. They just weren't hungry that night or whatever. You know what I mean? So there was probably plenty. We we hiked those same trails in the day and we didn't see any, you know, they're nocturnal of course, but I'm sure they move right. up, you know, they, they move up high during the, the day and then the nighttime mm. they come back down low again. So, and I'll tell you what we have, maybe this is, a good segue into our future, but we're um, like, as I said, we're, we're going to be offering, you know, herp tours and and all kinds of stuff. And, and uh, my, I'm going to do a retirement trip in February where we're going to be gone for probably seven or eight weeks. And I'm going to spend like an entire month in Papua. I'm I'm going to be, I I made a contact that actually um, was born and and raised and lives in be, so um you know, I'm going to go over there. I want to, I want to check all that stuff out. Um, we made a contact in the outskirts of Sorong where, uh, the village chief that we, that we met, you know, I always start talking snakes through my, through my guide, through my translator and that. And, and this guy, I showed him pictures on my phone of green tree pythons. And he was like, I can take you out to see those any night and i guarantee you that we'll see nice. pythons 
any night. So I'm going to be going back and visiting that guy. We're going to, there's no accommodations. So, but we kind of scoped it out and, and discussed a little bit with the guy, you know, and so we're going to go out there for a couple nights with our, um, with our, our hammocks, you know, our sleeping hammocks and, and we're going to suspend those by the little river there. And we're going to have the, the local villager people take us out on these trails. And I want to document some of the, the more I would call mainland forms, you know, to see how much maybe, sure. maybe how much different looking they are from the other animals that we've seen already. And then the Beoc animals, I'd love to see what the wild variation in those animals are. Cause they're, they're super variable anyway. So it would just be really cool if I could find maybe some real big, big adults, you know, and just, yeah. just to see what they look like and, you know, animals that have, for sure, fully color changed, you know, that are old, big and old animals or whatever, you know, I, I just, I want to go see all that stuff. We're going, we're going to, um, Nabire, uh, because we want to swim with the whale sharks there in, uh, Sindarawasi Bay. That's another retirement, uh, goal of mine. So that's going to be part of that trip as well. So we're going to be, uh, trekking through some of that jungle there in Nabire, see, maybe how different those green tree pythons, if we're lucky, um, you know, what they look like, what the scrub pythons might look like, all the things that I'm into. I want to go see all this stuff. And uh, I've fallen in love with those people, you know, and the culture is just so rich and it's just a good time. And that's all going to, going to build like our, our, our channel, our YouTube channel into like some really cool travel vlog stuff, but it's also, well, that's be, awesome. um, yeah, all the stuff that we are able to, to see and do will all become like potential itinerary for future travelers. So I get the most cool. inquiries at the expos when we set up, you know, I have a lot of people repeatedly coming by the table and saying, so what what's the timeline you know when when are you guys moving and when are we going to be able to start booking these tours because i got i got me and and a couple other families and we want to do this and we want to do that and it's it's going to be cool man because you know just like you said earlier how many people do you know that have seen green tree pythons in a while well you're going to start hearing about a lot of people that have seen green tree pythons in a while (laughs) because we're going to be setting up all these all these tours, you know, I want, I want a lot of people to be able to experience this stuff. So the more stuff that we're able to experience and have success in, then we're going to be able to provide those trips and stuff to other people. And we're not looking to get rich off providing any kind of travel service. I, I've really become like, so, so connected to the people there that me bringing tourism to some of those places will really benefit the local people. And then, and then my goal is that they see, you know, some, you know, how valuable having those animals in nature right. around them is. So then, you know, and, it, and the whole thing just obviously, I don't need to explain it, but it just, it all kind of follows through. So, you know, if I can have these people um, realizing that, having those snakes out there in the, in the jungle is something that's, you know, providing some sort of monetary benefit to them by having tourists come to see them and people want to see them and all that. And 
I think it'll just be really, I think it'll be beneficial on a lot of different levels. I think it'll be really cool. Well, I, I think, um, very I think, cool. I think it'd be very successful. I think there would be a lot of people, you know, once the, the travel process and, and the whole experience is, is, uh, you know, worked out. Uh, I think it would, I think you'd be very successful. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, I mean, I realize that, you know, not every one of those wives wants to go trucking through the jungle, but, you know, we, we can put together all kinds of stuff that can reward the, reward the rest of the family with a, you know, a beautiful beach and a beautiful reef and all that. But the next night the boys are going out on this jungle (laughs) track or or whatever, you know, like we can, we can Uh put together you know, diverse trips that where everybody yeah. gets something out of it. So, yeah, I, I think that's that's very smart. You can tell you're married to somebody with a, a background in the travel travel <laughs> industry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You but you know what? Of, she, you got to take care of Mama-san. Yeah, yeah, totally. But you know what? She's she's awesome because she's right there with me every every step of the way. She's she's right there. I've I've. Yeah. I've gotten her to go out into some really crazy places and some really crazy situations <laughs> and caves and all sorts of weird stuff. And she's right there with me cause she got it. She's got to film me, you know? So she knows yeah. that if yeah. she, if she opts out on something like that and I come back and go, damn it, I needed you. You, you could have filmed me with this or filmed me with that. And so there's no way that any opportunity is going to be missed like that. Cause I'd like never let her live it. Yeah. But, but she realized, she, she realizes and you realize that not all wives are like her. Sure. Of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, so what do you say, exciting, though? Man. Kim's not going to be uh, let going to be right there with you no, looking she, for condors. Nope, she's going to want to know where the nice Indo beach is. Gotcha. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but you know what? I'll tell you something though. My because my wife is is you know she's she's beautiful. She's only ninety seven pounds, and I'll, there's going to be a whole bunch of wives going. If that little chick can go out and do this. Damn it, I can do it too. You know what I mean? So there's going to be a bit of, of peer pressure there too. So, um, you know, I, I, it's it's a little bit different. But I, I think even she'll um, not actively, like, try to persuade people, but just the fact that she's doing it with, with us, with me, whatever, I think that that will help. You know, it, it's always good too. Like, for me, I tend to hire a lot of female guides. And – it it helps uh, get my wife more comfortable to go out and do things as well because because we have a female guide as opposed to a guy because otherwise you know the girls the girls going to be the only girl you know and then there's here's right. all these dudes the guides are dudes and everything and, and we're all out there and then the girls got to try to keep up and all this other stuff but when when you have a female guide that's kind of leading the charge or whatever then it's 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 very comfortable for females to you know join along and do stuff so i think it it has a has a big benefit absolutely yep yep well dan so, um just real uh, yeah go ahead bob yeah have you know so we already talked about this a little bit so you 
so you pretty much have just seen them in the ambush position. You haven't seen like, you know, an animal like crawling around anything trying to eat it or any uh, egg laying or nesting or anything like that. No, no, not at all. And I'm sure all that stuff is going on. Well, I mean, the feeding, of course, is going on right there in those right. in those ambush positions. I'm I would hope that with more time in the field and, and seeing more animals, there's probably a really good chance that you would find animals that are feeding and it would be super interesting to see what they're feeding on. But the egg laying and all that nesting stuff, they're going to be very well hidden. You know, they're going to be, I'm assuming they're going to be, you know, deep in some, you know, tree trunks or V's or something. I, they're not going to be doing that out in the open. So I don't know if, any of that okay. would ever be able to be observed, but that's just my personal opinion. I don't know. I could be wrong. You never know. Just got to go out and look and see what you see. There you go. Okay. Excellent. All right. Go, Bill. What were you going to say? I was just going to uh, uh, see if, you know, Dan mentioned a couple of places where he thought he might, uh, he was comfortable like in, in shows, vending where, you know, uh, if, if maybe Dan wanted to mention that, where somebody might be able to, you know, touch base with him or come by and talk to him in person, or um, obviously just anything else he wanted to mention about uh, DM Exotics, uh, contact information, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know what? Um, I I do my best to update people through the YouTube channel, which DM Exotics will get you there, or Dan Malary will you'll find yourself on the channel. I, I find myself doing a lot more updates um, through my videos. So if I have any like captive breeding things going on, or maybe if there's a shipment that landed that I want to show some stuff, I try to do everything through the YouTube channel. It just works better for me. And I think people enjoy it anyway, because they get to watch it. Um, and of course, also you get to see all of our trips are very well documented and, we're getting better at it too. So it'll be easier to watch, but um, we do uh, as many of the Southern California shows as possible. So the next show will be in uh, Vegas, uh, the middle of September. We'll be in Sacramento at the end of September. And then I think we're back in Orange County fairgrounds, the middle of October. And I think we have a small show in Victorville, California at the end of October. But um, okay. I, I reply to everybody. So I, there's a personal page on Facebook, Dan Malary. Then I have a fan page, DM Exotics, on Facebook as well. Instagram is DM underscore Exotics. You can find it. Just remember DM Exotics, and you'll you'll figure out where it is. But uh, I reply to everybody, regardless what the question is or whatever. Answer everything the best of my ability. And you don't need to be a buyer of something for, you know, to get my attention. You don't have to, you don't have to buy anything to get information out of me. Um, but, uh, but I'll answer, I'll reply to everything regardless of what it is. So I get a lot of messages, but the one thing I do is I answer them all. Nice. 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 You, I mean, and is there any message you want to uh, send out there for our, our very small uh, platform that we have? We talked a little bit about, you know, this, uh, the reputation that importers have uh, all being evil and hated. Is there anything else that you want to throw out there and kind of dismell any myths about 
you know, uh, anything. No, you know what? I mean, not really, because I really don't care what anybody thinks or anybody has to say, because everyone's free to speak their mind, especially now, you know, with social media, they can anonymously, oh, on YouTube too, of course, they can anonymously drop all sure. kinds of ridiculous comments, but so yeah. I, I, none of that stuff bothers <laughs> me at all, but um, I think it's just, uh, it just depends on, on uh, where you get your animals from. I think that's the most important thing. You know, whether it doesn't matter if it's captive bred or not, even a captive bred animal that's not being properly cared for is going to be, be a, a really poor sure. choice, you know? Problem. So, yeah. So, yeah. So it just depends, you know, do your homework, ask around, check out, you know, the reputation of some of these people. Um, you know, a lot of times the, the best people are the ones that you've never heard of, because mm-hmm. if you, if they were doing really crazy stuff, like you would know, because, you know, there's a lot of people that make themselves famous by doing super crazy, stupid things or selling garbage or whatever, or ripping people right. off. But a lot of times the people that you've never heard of, those are the, those are the people that are doing good because nobody has anything bad to say about bad them. to say. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. So that's kind of, that's kind of, you know, the, the basic rule, I guess, but, you know, just choose where you get your stuff from. That's all. That's all. Yeah, just do. Yeah, just do a little research and have a little common yep. sense. Yep, that's it. All right, very very good show, um, buddy. Did you have anything else before we closed it out? No, that yeah, that's great. I just wanted to say you know thanks, Dan, for coming on. That was kind of, you know, not too much planning ahead for us. So we're, we're happy you're able to accommodate us and come on. And um, I'm looking forward to. Uh, you know, maybe myself getting uh, over to Indo with you as my guide yeah. to uh, maybe see some uh, green tree pythons in the in the wild. Oh I'm man, I'm telling you, you'll, you'll the love same it. Thing. You, yeah. you guys will love it, man. It's it's um, I you know I don't know what what everybody believes in or whatever, but I have I often question myself. I I am so captivated by that place. I I can't explain what it is. Was I was I one of those natives in a previous life or something? Because I don't know what it is, but I feel <laughs> that place pulls me. I mean, it, it's I almost like can never go one day without thinking about it, and and the desire to go back over there and hang out with those people and and oh my gosh, man, I, I can't even explain it. It's just it's just such a draw for me. So I feel like my retirement couldn't be coming at a better time because, you know, with home base right, right there in Southeast Asia, man, how easy it's going to be to be able to just wake up one morning and go, Hey, you know, my wife's name's Apple. So it's like, wake up one morning and go, Hey Apple, you know what? Let's go back to Raja Ampat. You know, we can jump on a flight (laughs) tomorrow. We'll be there. You know, we'll be there in two days, you know, and, it's like, okay, let's do it. We'll we'll only be there for two weeks or whatever. And and it's not a flying across the world and a time zone, crazy time zone change and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's just kind of, I mean, it's not easy to get to even, even coming from, you know, within that region, but still it's not as brutal physically for us because our home base will completely change. So I have a feeling that we are going to be over there a lot and we're going to be documenting everything on our YouTube channel. And um, we're just really excited for the future. 
think it's going to be really incredible stuff. Buddy, maybe we need to do yeah. a show from from Indo. Yeah, that sounds good. We could. That would yeah, certainly one up. Cool. That would certainly one up uh, Eric and Owen. Yes, it would. <laughs> Don't tell them. <laughs> yeah, we'll right. get some. Uh, we'll we'll get some carpet pythons for it too. Yeah, yeah. Really put it. Really put it in their face. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> All right, let's put it in the books, man. Uh, Dan and Dan, I were retiring. Thanks so much. Hey, Dan and I are retiring, so you've got to retire too, and then it'll be easy. Well, I've already retired once, actually twice. It's <laughs> kind of the military, so, you know, I'm going to retire a third time, and then I'll be done. You know, three, time, three strikes and you're out. Yep, <laughs> and then, then we go over to Indo and do a show. There you go. Well, we go, go before I retire yep. for the third time. Okay. All right. All right, Dan. Thanks so much. All right, guys. You got it. Hey, thanks, right, Dan. Have a good night. All right. Bye. You too. Take care, guys. Bye. Uh, what do you think, Bill? We're Indo bound. Man, I that really sounds appealing. I mean, just you could hear the excitement in his voice, and I could just feel it you know when he walked up on those animals and you know i i saw the pictures i saw the video when he first posted them you know several months ago and um but just hearing him describe it in person is like man i gotta do that i gotta go over there and and check that out you imagine just going and plucking one up out of the wild that'll be an amazing experience be incredible amazing I yeah. mean, I'm the type of guy that finds a toad in my backyard and stares at it for 15 minutes. Yeah. So I don't, I don't yeah. know what, what would happen if we found a condor on the wild. That, that would be uh, definitely a life, life-changing experience, for me at least. My wife yeah. would roll her no. eyes, but, you know. I, I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, yeah. It's, I think Dan described it pretty well. You know, I mean, it's a little bit of a, you know, maybe we got to find something to keep the wives entertained while while we're we're over there in in that neck of the woods. You know, we'll send them to the Northeast Carpet Fest. <laughs> That'll keep them entertained. Uh, oh, I wouldn't wish that on them, but <laughs> we can find we can find a compromise where we can keep them happy That's and we it. can go we can go pluck some green trees out of the wild and and handle them. Right, sounds good. We've got All right. to do it. Let's do it. All right, it. Bill. All right, let's wrap it up, and uh, we'll see everyone. We'll have a show soon, so stay tuned. Talk to you, talk to everyone soon. Have a great night from GTP Keeper Radio.